Sponsor SixConnect automates network provisioning in a DevOps-friendly way. SixConnect's ProVision platform delivers workflows, resource management, DNS and DHCP controllers, IPAM, and more, all with an API-first mentality. Find out more about SixConnect's ProVision at sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet. That's sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet. Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Bugs and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with V6, we definitely want to hear from you. So come join us on the V6 Buzz and let's get the word out. I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogue. Today, we're going to be talking about IPv6 and IPv6 and the specific topic of like innovation. Can you use V6 for any innovative things uh, in and within itself? So let's jump into it. Let's talk about it because I think there's some unique characteristics around V6 that probably a lot of you know network operators aren't necessarily thinking about but and, and just sort of assume that many of the same things that they can do with V4, they can do with V6, which is true to a great extent, right, you guys? But mm-hmm. there's other things you can do with V6 that maybe fall outside that bound. So maybe we can outline a few of those things. Yeah. One that comes to mind is you know, you're constrained with IPv4 and the fact that you use broad land-based, you know, broadcasts, you're con- you're confined to building a network of only so many nodes until you start to have broadcast storms. Right. And so, you know, when you have a V4 only network, you're kind of constrained. Now, if you had an IPv6 only network that used link local multicasts, unicast RAs, long neighbor cache timers, you could build a really big network with a lot more nodes. We're talking like thousands of nodes mm-hmm. on a flat network. And so, you know, a, a common constraint in IPv4 is, well, how big could I build my broadcast domain if I, if I want it to be flat, if it's an Internet of Things network maybe, or it's a big wireless mesh, or it's containerized workloads, I can only build an IPv4 segment so large. But with IPv6, right. it removes those impediments. I could really scale. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I know. I think the other area is that that we constrain ourselves artificially, at least from a characteristics of V4, is how many networks we can actually build, right? Like how many discrete you know subnets can we tease out of whatever address space, RFC 19 address space we're actually going to consume versus what's possible with with getting a, a, a reasonable size allocation of V6. And then how we can how you can actually use that to do a bunch of things from a maybe a logical design level, not just a, a I need hierarchy and 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 some simplification, but maybe even like overlays on top of what you're doing there. That's a characteristic that we just haven't had available to us in our V4 arsenal at all, right? In terms mm-hmm. of saying like, hey, we want to have this logical construct that just spans across you know whatever layer three topologies I actually am, am operating because I can build it as an overlay and I have I have the freedom to do that and give it a certain set of characteristics or a certain set of security principles or things of that nature, which I suppose looks a little bit like maybe zero trust, I guess, zero trusty issuousness mm-hmm. is if that's a word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but it I, is now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think but I think there's something there. I, I don't, you know, I don't mm-hmm. think anyone is taking advantage of it, but I think there is something there, right? So yeah, I think when you when you did that with V4, it was always in a tunnel or it's overlaid and it was non-unique addresses that overlapped with other components or other regions of the network. Now, you know, I think for like security practitioners, you could build that network with a unique V6 prefix 
Mm-hmm. And if you see logs in your security information event management system related to that, you know that you know that is, that IPv6 prefix is for that purpose, and not oh I got a log from 192.168.1.1, and you're like right. where where is that <laughs> is it yeah, exactly in the underlay is it in the overlay am I am I is that the is other, that side, VPN? Is the other right, side of yeah. the VPN because you're using that same address all over the place is it, is it one of our 20 dozen clouds that we're using that all have the 192.168 address space <laughs> yeah, deployed exactly. in it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so I think that's I think that's a unique characteristic that probably does not exist in V4 in the same way that that gives you some some capabilities. And we, try, we talked a little bit about the sort of characteristic aspects, but are there things that we've, I mean, are there things that we need to consider that were just like overall constraints of V4 that we just don't have? I mean, obviously the address space is, a, is the dead obvious one of like, you know, that we don't have that constraint anymore of, of just how much address can, you know, are available to us to consume within either a local subnet or even just overall in the overall network architecture. Are, are there anything else that we should, you know, that we sort of haven't considered that from a constraint basis that is, is changed. I mean, does the flow label do anything for us from a security standpoint? Are there things around extension headers that really make sense that are, you know, sort of puts V4 in a corner in terms of saying like, hey, you don't have as much uh, sets of capabilities, unique care capabilities. I, and maybe that's a whole discussion around like SRV6 and what they're doing there, but uh, whether that's we could, good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> yeah. Can I can I talk about mobile IPv6 for just a minute? <laughs> As an improvement, improvement over the way mobile IP is done with IPv4, but you know, not used extensively. Right. Yeah. But it's definitely a, definitely a big a, a big improvement there. And I think I think just the the possibilities. There was a bunch of possibilities architecturally that we thought about on the v6 side. Things like multicast at scale was definitely something that was mm-hmm. more carefully considered versus what happened in v4 because v4 is pretty ugly on trying to do multicast at scale right it's just not a particularly pretty thing to for yeah doing a source specific it. multicast at scale you just didn't have enough addresses don't have enough addresses right and so that's that's one of the constraints on v4 versus versus what we have available to in v6 just that's not even an issue they were they were fully thinking about like yeah we should be running multicast across the internet backbone and i'm like hmm <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if we'll be seeing anything like that, but uh, but I but I do think it's something that that architects and folks who might want to take advantage of that within their own data center could definitely leverage, right? So, things, it's possibilities there. I, I I think one of the other attributes about v6, just from the randomness of of address builds and other things, might be like security. I don't know if we feel like security is actually better for v6 or. Or worse, I don't think there's anything fundamental about the protocol that's necessarily that much more unique or important uh, from a security standpoint. But Scott, I mean, I don't know if you feel differently about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess with V4, we've typically thought, you know, one one node, one address. Right. With IPv6, we could have one node, multiple addresses and have them be for different purposes. Oh, I have... And we can use global addresses for these things, not have to do, you know, private addresses for these things. But I could have one type of global address that's used for, you know, when that node needs to go out and fetch patches from the internet. I have another address that's used for when that device needs to be vulnerability scanned or Mm -hmm. another administrative type address that's used, you know, for, you know, maybe desktop screen sharing with the help desk when I need to troubleshoot, or, you know, we could have multiple addresses on something for different functions or security. And we've talked in the past about, you know, servers having ephemeral addresses, you tend yeah. to think, 
one server has one address and it's always registered in DNS with an A record and a, and a reverse you know, pointer record and that's it. And it stays static. But could a server have many addresses and use those addresses as the interface identifier portion of the addresses on the server as client identifiers? So a thousand clients are talking to a server with a thousand different addresses, one for each of those client connections. And each client connection communicates to that server only on a single address. So that connection between those two IPv6 addresses between the client and the server is unique to that right. client mm -hmm. server communications. To um, that set to that session itself. It's it's just unique for that session instantiation as long as it needs to yeah. live and then just goes away afterwards, yeah. right? Do we see like movement? So, so all that is seems like predicated on application developers really recognizing that there's that opportunity there. And, mm -hmm. and do we see, I mean, we've had some folks on that have talked about application development uh, and, and it's always sort of a little, I, th I think it's a little more opaque for us to get our, because none of us are really actually coders and we're coded, coding adjacent, application development adjacent. But, you know, how much of that, that innovation that there's like pent up innovation there that that's really predicated on those developers you know, recognizing that this is an opportunity with v, there's an opportunity with v6 to to do some of these things and and you know developing a sort of i don't want to you know sort of get too philosophical about it but sort of developing a culture around ipv6 innovation that i i think we've seen in in some corner cases but in general you know is that really i guess i'm asking the question is it really there yet in terms of application developers and their awareness of ipv6 and and what those innovation opportunities might be yeah it seems every couple of months now, I'm starting to see a unique type of server application that leverages some moving target IPv6 defense, ephemeral address, address hopping type <laughs> technique mm -hmm. that builds into the address some type of a TOTP key or token or something and some method of authentication is being embedded into the address. Hmm. And so I'm starting to see more of those come out as little open source projects on GitHub and um, research papers being published that talk about some of these techniques. So I think it's, it's starting to catch on. Uh, application developers are starting to become aware of them, but many, I think, application developers are just so used to the way things have been un done in the past and they're constrained. Right. And maybe right. they're yeah, developing on top of a web platform and they're and that all is beneath them, right. beneath the web platform. Right. And that only has one address on the server. So they don't ever think about what they could do creatively if they took control of the stack. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. And I I'm I'm glad to hear that you're actually seeing that sort of uh sort of initial starting point. I think that that's that's good news because I would say my gut instinct is no, there's not people that are really innovating in that particular area. And it'd be great to see someone do it. I mean, like. I think innovation-wise, there, there might be some potential for things like, you know, I don't know, like Tom and I have been playing with zero tier and that, that could be mm -hmm. pretty cool in terms of seeing what they could do ar around making use of something like that from a dynamic yeah. addressing standpoint. But I think it's, I, I think the the point is really valid is that, you know, it's it's a whole different way of thinking for, for an application developer. And you're not going to think that way because V4 has constrained you for so long that you're just sort of used to the box that you're in, right? Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. I, th I think I think that's where they're at right now. And it's, it's no until someone sort of opens our eyes and says like, "Hey, you know, <laughs> go use all this." You got you got this entire 
you know, don't, don't sit in your sandbox on the beach when you have the entire beach in yeah. front of you, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you no, know, and go, some of it, some of it might not be IPv6 specific, right? I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's as an application developer, you, you know, your concept of what the network is and what it does is, as Scott suggests, you know, it's the layer below and, and you have certain calls that you're, you know, you sort of used to either having in libraries that you don't think about, or, mm-hmm. you know, there's just the, the mode of thought that goes into it, you know, so it's not, it's not necessarily like you don't recognize that there's an opportunity with IPv6. It's like you're not really thinking about the network in that way at all, and right. and you're not expected to. And and it you know it it, it would take takes some some serious dot connecting to get to that point where you're like, oh look, I can do this. And you know I think I remember back in the day it was like, well, well you know application developers will figure out something really stupid to do with IPv6 that consumes you know 10 million addresses a second or whatever it was, you know, and then we're going to burn through v6 you know too quickly and it's like throw the gauntlet down let's do it let's see how fast we can burn through v6 and how meaningful Mm -hmm. that is you know please i'm hoping we get to the point where (laughs) application developers recognize that there you know there may be some problem that they can solve by doing that yeah i I agree i mean do we feel like the lack of v6 deployments sort of stifling innovation from a technology basis overall or do we feel like this is yeah yeah Yeah, that's really yeah that's I, i couldn't agree with that more strongly yeah, try to go build anything new today. And the first thing you need in your design is you need addresses. Yep. And if you got to go get V4 addresses, well, how much can I get? Okay, I got, you know, a slash 20. <laughs> and now I'm going to build this whole infrastructure with slash 20. And I've carved it up into slash 28s and 29s. And it's just so constraining right from the start. You're just in a box that's shrinking rapidly right. and you're just and costing you more money pressure yeah mm-hmm. there's so much pressure you don't have enough to do a greenfield you start off on the wrong foot with just this scarcity that addresses are so precious yeah you know v4 addresses where if you had thought ah what if i could build this from scratch v6 only completely remove all those obstacles so will cloud be sort of something that inspires uh, application developers? Like the the fact that I don't know that we're really there yet with cloud providers fully taking advantage of V6 space in the way that we're sort of hinting around. It seems that they're headed in that direction. Mm-hmm. And then it seems also that, you know, as an application developer, you're probably much closer to interfacing with networking, no pun intended, in you know cloud environments than you are necessarily with on-premise you know the old old style enterprise network right. environment and so then as well, a result of that because do, you, do you sort of start to pick up that you know the 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 ethic around ipv6 and abundance and you know it's like basically you're mm-hmm. going to get spoon-fed that by the cloud providers who are figuring out how to take advantage of it and then that's mm-hmm. when the scales will fall from your eyes and you'll be like oh okay now i see what this resource is all about we pause the podcast to tell you about sponsor six connect SixConnect's ProVision network provisioning platform is a collection of next-generation automation tools helping service providers and enterprises update how they do network provisioning. Working with bare metal, containers, on-prem, in the cloud, SixConnect ProVision can help. ProVision is modular and API-first, which, which means it's flexible. Ops folks can use ProVision to deliver whatever sort of provisioning platform they need to to make the business they support happy. 
Okay, I said modular, so let's talk about some of these ProVision modules. There is the Resource Manager. Track everything from cross-connects to customers in one place, or simply tie into existing systems, including external authentication for low-effort automation. And then there's the IP Address Manager, with full IPv4 and v6 support, handling everything from subnets to host, and it can even help you cope with duplicate and overlapping IP address space. The DNS controller supports several DNS platforms, and that gives you a single pane of glass for DNS provisioning, even if you deal with multiple DNS platforms at the same time. The ProVision DHCP controller integrates with several different DHCP platforms and services for hybrid deployments and handles multi-tenancy and detailed controls. And then there's the Peering Manager. That's a bridge for router configuration and email comms related to peering. It is integrated with PeeringDB, and that ensures that exchange information is consistent and that peering coordinators get a one-stop shop for BGP session management and human coordination without touching a command line. And you get the idea here. We're just scratching the surface to give you a taste of the network automation and provisioning platform you can build with 6Connects ProVision. Would you like to know more? Well, of course you would, and you can do that at 6Connect.com packet. That is 6Connect with the number 6.com slash packet. Once more, for API-first automated network provisioning that can bring together many different systems in your provisioning stack, 6Connect with the number 6.com slash packet. And now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I, so um, actually, Scott just had a recent show. He was just on He was just on Day 2 Cloud, on the Packet Pusher show mm-hmm. for Day 2 Cloud. So we're talking about V6 and public cloud. So I really encourage everyone to listen to that show because, you know, Scott, you, you cover quite a bit in there around that sort of area. I think one of the challenges is, is that you need to be aware of or know, know of this as an available service in the cloud. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest gap. Like, I can't tell you how many services I'm just not even aware of in, in a bunch of the public clouds. And I use you know, when we use a bunch of them on a regular basis, it's like, they, wait, they have what? Like, it's just so hard to keep track of everything. So I think that's part of it. It's just like, you're just sort of lost in how many services are available. So seeing until like AWS and Azure make like reference designs for people to innovate in this particular area, I think that's going to be the challenge. Like mm-hmm. that's going to limit the potential of the innovation side because there's not a reference design that says like, yeah, you can totally scale up your Kubernetes like X amount of time and you don't, you can make all of them, all your services globally discoverable across the board because you don't have to hide behind that for everything or, mm-hmm. you know, or like all sorts of potentials about what you could potentially run inside yeah. the public cloud and provide them, you know, addresses and still provide the security framework because you're like, yeah, it's coming from this particular V6, you know, bring your own address prefix maybe or something like mm-hmm. that. And you're like, yeah. oh, well, we have a security policy that says basically only our own PI address space can talk to that address range. So we don't really care you know, who you are, where you're coming from, you have to be coming from a corporate owned resource in order to be able to even connect to that resource. Yeah. You kind of need either the cloud providers need to have those design patterns or those scenarios or, you know, give you some scriptable infrastructure that then you can just customize and build, or you happen to just be tiptoeing through the API guide and you're like, oh, I could make that call and activate this. And you Mm -hmm. didn't even realize that these other APIs existed to build that infrastructure out you know, yeah you need, you need six only you need the sample yeah. terraform or you need the mm-hmm. sample ansible code or you need the sample you know um you know mm-hmm. whatever aws cloud formation scripts are going to help you get from point a to point b i think in terms mm-hmm. of really providing that and i think i think that's where 
the opportunity is for the cloud providers uh, to answer Tom's question. I think that innovation space of saying like, oh, we can do things differently and we're going to leverage up, you know, our address space, but be even better, bring your own address space, right? So mm-hmm. you can you can figure out how to do this on your own. And, and, and that's a really unique opportunity. I think, I think that's one of the things that's just not possible in V4. Like mm-hmm. we've talked about this. It's not possible. Yeah. You can't bring your own address space in the same way in V4 that you could potentially do in V6. And it's just changes the ball game entirely in terms mm-hmm. of like um, sort of the reputation and and, uh, and and a lot of other attributes around the address space itself. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's for me. I see that as a big limitation of how we're limiting the potential of the internet, right? In terms of you know the just the overall like flexibility of what we could build, scaling it up having having good sort of reputation around your address space and and being able to sort of validate who you are mm-hmm. and how you operate. And we we just don't have parameters around that with V4 because we're just handing out onesie twosie addresses. <laughs> like here's mm-hmm. your 32 and here's your yep. 32. And I don't I don't know who used that before. Hopefully it's just not dirty and mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know. You're just handed it. You have no idea what what that thing was used for before. And I think that's that's a unique opportunity for the cloud providers to say like, no, no, we can, we can actually provide reputation around the address space now that just we weren't able to do. Yeah. I think cloud implies, you know, broad internet reachability as yeah. one of its, you know, tenants. And, and so that means reachable to the whole internet that might be using V4 or V6. And so, you know, definitely on the front end, on the web tier, you want to make your, any cloud application be accessible you know, by the whole world, but then internally, you know, you could leverage the abundance of the globally unique address space to build out infrastructure without those constraints. And cloud well, is, I think, is that greenfield deployment that allows you to start fresh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see this as you guys is like, I want to see a reference framework from one of the cloud providers that says like, yeah, we got this abundance of dressing and we can make the, so to your point earlier, Scott, about like ephemeral session connections, like this should just be an API call. This is like, just give me the address space that I need in, in a block and and all my sessions just get built out of this stuff automatically. Mm-hmm. And we sort of done this with DNS. We sort of butchered DNS <laughs> mm-hmm. to do this in some ways, right? Of, of sort of floating goods in the overall URL length and things like that to sort of solve this problem. But I mean, the reality is, is it makes it very difficult to track from a logging standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. And from a sort of a compliance standpoint versus what we're talking about, which would be much more trivial uh, to, to understand that this application session request is just, it only exists for the time period that's required for mm-hmm. my single bank transaction to occur. And then it just goes away for forever. And, and it can be a unique tracking attribute of whatever I'm doing. Uh, and that could be, that could be for anything. It could be, I guess it could be for crypto. We could, we could, we could hang our hat on, on web three, Tom. I was waiting for this moment to arrive in this podcast. <laughs> Crypto and V6. We're yeah. going to make it happen, man. <laughs> I mean, I, but you laugh. I mean, there are you know, creative uses of IPv6 today. Like um, many people may not realize that the combined charging system uses IPv6. Power line communications, mm-hmm. vehicle charging systems use IPv6 link local addresses. They have these IEC... 62196 type one or type two connectors. And in those charging systems, they're using IPv6 at the network layer for that communication because you're going to go build a new thing like that. You don't have enough V4 addresses to do it. Yep. So you follow the model of, you know, connected home over IP, which is now known as, as matter. Right. Uh, and you build, you know, those IOT 
IT, OT type systems using IPv6 instead. And it just removes the constraint of, oh, I need IPv4 addresses to build out this massive scalable infrastructure. You can build yeah. IPv6 right from the start. Yeah, and I definitely think there's potential for us to to do this at a broader base versus just these these sort of more narrow use cases. It's I think there's a there's a huge huge set of opportunity for for enterprises and and uh, and you know software companies and everyone else to really innovate on top of IPv6 in a different way. If you're if you're given the opportunity to think about it, but it's very difficult to do this if you actually haven't deployed. IPv6, because right? your app team can't play on it. Maybe they can play on the public cloud, but the reality is if you haven't done the deployment work to give them a lab to actually see if they can make this stuff work, it doesn't do you any good because you're still stuck on, guess what, IPv4. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you've, you, you've stifled your innovation. Right? The cloud providers, yeah, they're, they're, they have their own struggles in terms of you know building up their IPv6 offerings. And it's it's good in some places, not so great in others. And then, of course, from provider to provider it's it's drastically different and so yeah i I agree waiting for this sort of virtuous cycle on the cloud provider side to to provide developers with an environment where it's like oh they're going to really see the advantage of ipv6 that's going to take more time yeah yeah i agree well let's let's not all of us limit the potential of the internet (laughs) get the get the v6 adoption going you guys (laughs) not to give you a call to arms but there there it is (laughs) yeah well, cool. Well, unlike V6, we've run out of space for the podcast. You can reach us, uh, you know, IPv6 Buzz podcast. We're on Twitter at IPv6 Buzz. You can also hit up each one of us. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogan. I'm at E. Horley. And thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.